Back, the craft and career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we explore various approaches to craft and career and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Brooklyn-based performer, writer, and educator Zena Ellis, Class of 15. Originally from Western Illinois, not the Chicago part, she earned a degree in theater studies at Yale and was a member of Something Extra, Women Rhythm, and Red Hot Poker, in addition to performing in many YDC and Dramat productions. Since moving to New York, she has worked in a variety of theater projects, ranging from devising a new play in a bar basement to starring as the fairy godmother in the the most recent national tour of Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella. In recent years, she's branched out into writing with her original pilot, Divine Intervention, placing in multiple screenwriting contests. She's currently in the early stages of self-producing this pilot and has many other creative projects in the works. When not performing, she works in education, having helped students of all ages and from around the world to achieve their academic and professional goals through tutoring and career support. Zena, it is so great to have you on the Craft and Career Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to you. You have been an amazing force post-grad doing so much and, and in so many different directions. And, and we'll unpack that, like what that means and all the different things that you've been doing. The, the recent you know, national tour you know, side of things is maybe some of the most exciting that we'll talk about. But one of the reasons I was super excited to have you on the show is to talk about all the different levels in here and all the things that don't get seen and don't get noticed and don't get thought about. Yes, that's so important. So important in the mix of this. And, and it's the part that, you know, I mean, there's some great podcasts out there, but these those aren't always the questions that get asked. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the shiny stuff and, and, and the stuff in the corner gets left behind. So yes. this is not called the stuff in the, the, the corner podcast, <laughs> but I, I, it's it's craft and career, right? And so when we look mm-hmm. at those two things, let's start with a definition of terms. So yes. when I say career, it's a big word. It can mean a lot of different mm-hmm. things. What does it put you in mind of? Right. So actually, you just mentioning the the things that you don't see about uh, an artist's work is sort of how I define career. Like when we started communicating about what a life in the arts looks like, to me, career kind of refers to the bigger picture, like the long-term view of your work, what your lifestyle is, what your goals are, how you're growing and how, how you're sustaining a life in the arts. Yeah. And creatives sometimes have a hard time thinking about that long term yes. um, when they're trying to just move from one thing to the next and, and to make those things add up. So, yes. so that, that maybe that's why we creatives sometimes don't like to talk career because it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's too far in the future. It's too big picture in many ways. Definitely. So Definitely. what does that mean then if big picture is career? Then what does that leave when when I use and I know it's a loaded term too and it can mean yeah, so much yeah. but like craft when mm-hmm. we think of craft like what parts of that do you own what the parts of that mm-hmm. do you think of Yeah so I, I kind of had two ways of thinking about it but again I think it does sort of break down where the career is is sort of the the invisible thing that supports the craft so yeah. sort of like within creativity within my creative work I think of the craft as the actual the work like as a performer writer that's that's the craft and then career is is all the other things that you have to do yeah to find opportunities. And then kind of the craft is like the the reward at the other end of, <laughs> of all your career work. And then sort of zooming out a little bit more, pardon me if it's like way too complicated, but I, I sort of think like in, in a macro sense, craft is your creative life, which is sort of 
contained. And then career is again, everything else you do to support that creative life. How do you build your life to support your, your work and your art? Yeah. Yeah. You need both. And interestingly, they can sometimes help each other and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and sometimes they can be going in totally different directions and you have to make choices about which one to wrangle at any given season. Yes. (laughs) So the craft, which, you know, Mm -hmm. for, for a broader audience, even those aren't necessarily like creatives themselves, maybe it'd be worthwhile asking a little about the, in that craft, right? Like Mm -hmm. what is it about so for you and your craft takes on a couple of different forms, right? Mm-hmm. The acting, writing, comedy, you know, but what is it in that craft, the creative functionality here mm-hmm. that makes it so that you you have to do it, you know, it keeps it yes. bringing you back. What sustains you, what keeps you moving forward, what allows you to stretch together a run of craft work mm-hmm. in a way that you, you know, all the things that the, the obstacles don't, aren't too much and, and you're willing right. to sort of keep at it. Right. I, I think it really just does come from a deep love of the work and this feeling that, yeah, you know, <laughs> even if no one were to ever cast me again, I would still enjoy digging into a character for 16, 32 bars at a time. But I also think that having these these bigger picture goals and and having projects of my own that I don't need to rely on someone to cast me in, those are also really important driving forces for me. In terms of sustainability, I think it's so much about self-care. I'm sick right now. And as you mentioned just before we started recording, your body is your instrument. And so whatever you can do to take care of yourself and remain physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually solid and ready to work, that's everything. Sleep is really important (laughs) for me. I, I really, I notice a lot if I am not getting enough sleep. And so that, that's something, but it's always like, there's like the, the really good stuff or like the officially healthy things to take care of yourself, but also the things that just make you happy. Like I love food. I love sweets. And so sometimes self-care is getting a cookie at my favorite bakery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Speaking of, of food and feeding, like what are, what, what are some of the things that feed your creativity? What are some of the either things you're, you're reading or watching or hearing or finding, you know, w- what is it? What's that like? And, and how important is it to keep yourself fed in that way? It's super important. And I think fortunately, as an actor, there are so many things as an actor and a writer, there are so many different things that I can consume that are really, really inspiring. So I've been seeing a lot of shows lately. I guess these two things kind of go together. I've been seeing a lot of shows lately this season. The Tonys were super exciting. Those were just this weekend. And it's always just... Without a script, right? Because there were no no writers. Yes. And it actually, I, I was... Maybe, maybe this is a little shady, but I was kind of surprised how well it went until it started. And then it made so much sense because actors can do anything. Theater people can do anything. And And as yourself, like mm -hmm. uh, half the actors are actually also writers or do are at least very involved in that process. Right. Exactly. And what we want, what I always wanted when I was 
a kid watching the Tonys was I just want to see great performances. I want to see clips from the shows. And we got so many more of those this year that that was really, really exciting. And then something else that I, I'm sort of working on thinking about that's been driving me lately is I, I, I'm thinking about writing an article. We'll see when this comes out and if if the article makes it out into the world. But we're in sort of a really interesting moment in, in musical theater, which is sort of my bread and butter, where we have a lot of shows about female empowerment and feminism, brand new new pieces with a focus on feminism and female empowerment, oftentimes using pop music to explore that, which is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading this book by Professor Stacy Wolf, who's a, a musical theater professor at Princeton called Changed for Good, which is a feminist history of the American musical theater. So I'm crossing my fingers that I'll get to have a conversation with her and then write something about yeah. that topic, having seen, I think, all of the the big feminist musicals of the past season. I love the Wicked reference. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting book that is it's inspiring me to think about this may be too much of a bunny trail, but it's making me think a lot about like tension between the the text of a piece. Right. And like what's happening in the story? What are the characters saying? What are the characters doing versus the power of performance and how, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe on paper, a story is not empowering or is not overtly feminist, but in performance, it really, really is. So highly recommend this book. It's, it's making my brain bigger and hopefully I will have something really cool to show for it. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That puts me in mind too. If I just think of particularly in the film Mm -hmm. musical, how subtext was such an important part of that history. Mm-hmm. And there were certain things that could be said or could not be said at given mm-hmm. times. And the, the, particularly the musical with its big, bold, melodramatic. And like, there was always these lines of, of hidden truth yes. or hidden question or, or something like that. And obviously like that rolls into, you know, the, the, the traditional musical mm-hmm. as well. I'd look forward to hearing or, see, or reading, you know, what, what, you, what you've been exploring in that direction. Yes. I really, I really hope I get to have a, a conversation with Stacy to, unpack this some more because it's a really we're in a really interesting moment historically i think yeah well that actually kicks me over to another topic i wanted to touch on when it comes to sort of craft right and i feel you know in most disciplines it's a little different niche of them but in so many of the disciplines creativity is community Mm -hmm. or at least it's almost interchangeable in some ways or it's strongly supported let's say how important is community to you how and and sometimes we think of it in terms of community of practice Mm -hmm. the people who are also doing these things and sharing notes and raising right. boats together and and and, and those sorts of things right, how right. important is it how have you approached it how have you established those things how much of that did you carry over from Yale mm-hmm. you know to our Yale audience some yes. tips and tricks in those directions <laughs> like what, what like what what does that look like yeah so I, I think your community of practice I, I thought this was a really interesting question because while you're in school it it feels like and doesn't feel like it, it is true that your friends live five minutes away from you. And even if you don't see them every single day, if you want to find them, you can. But I do think that it takes, once you get out of school, it takes a lot more effort to really yeah. maintain those communities outside of, for example, working on a show together. That was a, a transition coming out of school that I that I didn't realize would be as difficult as it was going from having like, oh, here's a list of 30 people that I can text at any time who are no more than five minutes away. And now having friends scattered all over the city, scattered all over the country world, right. it just it takes that much more 
effort to establish. But something else that I think is exciting is, yes, these these relationships that I've maintained with friends from Yale, but also relationships that I have maintained and grown from collaborating with other people. A lot of the time, and I, I, I don't know, maybe I'll get into this a little bit more later, but this this industry, the entertainment industry, I think writ large is all about relationships. And so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. When I am thinking about projects to work on, I, I'm thinking about, oh, this sounds like a, an interesting piece. But I'm also thinking about, oh, this is a person I would love to collaborate. I'd love to have a relationship with this person. So especially early on when I was maybe not getting any money or not getting much money for a project. I yeah. was I was thinking about, well, I, I'm meeting awesome people who can be future collaborators. And I'm excited about that. I think that's a really healthy way to be looking at it, mm-hmm. which can be hard, particularly yeah. right out of school and and without the further context and without and and without seeing, mm-hmm. as you said, like the the career part is the long game mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it's hard to know a long game when you're just starting the game. Right. right? Like so right. it's good good to know that you were able to identify identify that. And it's, it's also just a good notice for, for younger, you know, uh, performers and others, you know, thinking about this, that's something that is important to establish along the way and understand that something invested here is it may be, you know, rooted down and will, you know, bloom like somewhere d- down the path in a really important way. Always, always. And, and you just reminded me of something else, which is like, I really like the the term community of practice more than something like network. Right. right. I, <laughs> I, I feel like I, That's I such always, a loaded word. Yeah. Right. And like I, I really chase it. It sounds so the, sterile and mechanical. Yeah. Yes, transactional. And I I think that for me, it is important to know people and to connect with people and and reach out and ask for things and offer things. So I, I think, yeah, really thinking about being a part of a, a community and how we can all help each other and thinking of yourself as a person with something to offer, not just someone who like needs things from other people right. um, yeah, yeah. is a really helpful has been a helpful mindset shift for me as I'm thinking about quote unquote networking community building. Totally agree. Totally. And I, I like that that language that you're identifying kind of the pieces of that language that really make it work and make it actually make it clear what it really is, mm-hmm. right? Because the community Pete has a sustainability and mm-hmm. organic family kind of a you know, like we're part yeah. of something bigger and it's not just a one one on uh, one off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also like and I'd like that phrase as well because practice is in it, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it allows for someone to recognize that networking, like that community building, mm-hmm. is that is relationship building for yes. people who are also in practice, people who are also, and that can mean that they have like a, a creative practice, mm-hmm. or that can mean that they're a supporter or a patron, mm-hmm. or you know, so many different things. But the practice, like that creative yes. element, is part of this, and everyone on is on the same page and uh, identifying that as being an important part of it. Yes, and I also think it's really important to have friends who are not in the industry, just so that you don't go down the the route. <laughs> It holds that you can always be thinking about the larger world because ultimately that contributes to your art too and to your creative life too. Having sure. perspective beyond just the industry. Absolutely. Okay. So careers, mm-hmm. big picture, large frame, 
macroverse. (laughs) So tell me more about how you knew Mm -hmm. the career path. And and I know that Mm -hmm. that's amorphous in a lot of ways as well. (laughs) Even the big picture can be amorphous. Um, So tell me more about what that looked like for you. What convinced you at at, at what stages you knew what you were going to be going Mm -hmm. after and started to put this together. What did that look like for you? Yeah. So I always knew I loved performing since I was a little kid. You know, I did like baby dance classes. My preschool always did a production of the Nutcracker. So I had gotten opportunities to perform since I was really small. When I was in kindergarten, I played Clara in the Nutcracker, which is very fun. And I think that kind of started me down this path, but I didn't really realize how, how serious I was about it until high school. Like I sort of always thought, oh yes, I love performing. I love singing. I love theater. It That's something that I, I love to do, but I also have a lot of other interests. I also have a lot of academic interests. My parents really wanted me to be an engineer. <laughs> and I was pretty satisfied with that path, even as I was, you know, participating in all sorts of arts activities. But then my summer between junior and senior years of high school, I did a a pre-college theater program actually at the University of Michigan. They have a musical theater program and that immersive environment where, oh, wow, the only thing I am thinking about is musical theater was so exciting to me that I decided, no, yeah, this is actually something that I want to pursue. And so, yes, when I was looking at schools the following year, I was thinking about colleges where I could pursue creative work, but also continue developing academically because both areas of my life were really, really important to me. And when I got- That sounds like Yale. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And when I got to Yale, I thought I would double major in econ. That whim quickly passed. And then I think if Yale had minors, I would have ended up with a psychology minor. I did a lot of psychology coursework in school, and that is still very- meaningful and interesting to me, but I ended up being just a regular theater studies major. Nothing regular about that. (laughs) (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) And then yes, moving to New York right after school, which was a pretty wild dive into the deep end. So, so I, and we, we've got you in New York now mm-hmm. and there's a whole different question that we could take yeah. that it, it, towards the city versus regional mm-hmm. theater versus other opportunities and those sorts of things. But yes. maybe we'll come back around on that. Cause mm-hmm. I, what I wanted to ask you more in that transition zone, mm-hmm. in that sense of maybe just a, a little bit of texture in terms of mm-hmm. the kinds of jobs, the kinds of engagement, the kinds of support structure that you've been carving out. Mm-hmm in order to make something work like a big dive directly into the city. Right. Yeah. What did that look like? And what were some of the pieces that you were working with? Yes. So I, I always sort of had, I always had an interest in education. I loved school. I was good at school. Academics were important to me. And actually my mom is also an educator. She works as Hmm. a, an academic advisor at a community college in my hometown. So after my freshman year at Yale, I worked at home at this community college and student services. And then I also led like a theater camp for kids in my hometown, which is really fun. And then over the next few, the next summer I studied abroad, the next summer I interned at Choate Rosemary Hall in their youth arts program. So 
I can't necessarily pinpoint the moment where I decided, hey, education is going to be a major part of my life, even as I continue in the arts. But that's just sort of how how it happened. And and I've really been enjoying it so far. So after moving to the city, I I started tutoring the SAT and ACT, as so many of us do. (laughs) Then I later added on college application support. So for seniors applying to schools, helping them get organized, brainstorming essays, all of those things. And then I I began working in career services. So hello, career services people. (laughs) Welcome. Yes. With this awesome um, educational nonprofit called Sponsors for Educational Opportunity that serves first generation low income students, which is so exciting. And I, I was working there full time in deep COVID. Now I'm working there part time alongside a new part-time adventure, which is sort of like the next step in this, in this progression. <laughs> I'm working at a recruitment firm. So it's kind of like the mirror image of the student facing career services. Yep. And a lot of people who work at this, you're playing chess with yourself. Exactly. And no, I really am. I'm, I'm learning a lot from both things and trying to bring it all together. And the work on either side is, is really comparable. And then I also do a tiny bit of, of administrative slash sales work for a life coaching company, which has just sort of fallen in my lap, but I'm very happy about it. Even, even that has a, a certain amount of cl- curricular component to it. I mean, you're supporting your administering around something important and impactful. And I I really do feel like all of these things contribute to my, my larger interest and desire in, in helping people. So balancing creative life and, and a contribution to the world. I'm also working on establishing my own tutoring company kind of in a holding pattern right now because I have so many other things going on. I was going to say, yeah, that, that's a big entrepreneurial engagement. I know, yeah. but I, I think, and I, I look forward to talking about this a little bit more and sharing as much as I can, but I think that entrepreneurship is really important for creative people to consider sure. just on the whole, especially for performers, but really all, yeah. all creatives need flexibility in yeah. a way that not a lot of other jobs can provide. I'm glad that you mentioned it like that too, because it's oftentimes an actor, an artist, a writer, they're very focused on, mm-hmm. on, the, on the crafty part, right? Whereas that surrounding mm-hmm. career part, that bigger frame has so much more to do with like, what are you really logistically speaking? You mm-hmm. as a performer, as an actor, you are mm-hmm. a small business. That is what you are. Like, and you, you got to yes. know how to pay taxes, you know, know how to budget all the different steps along the way. And that is so far afield from what the, mm-hmm. the craft part, like that part of our brain that pulls us towards the yes. calling that we're a part of, leaves so little room and interest in that direction. But sustainably, big picture, you've got to have yes. those components in place. So I'm, I'm glad you put it in, in those terms. It might be something that's a little slightly off-putting to mm-hmm. a young creative, but also just part of the practical reality of what right, they're looking right. at. Right, And you, you need to have other things in your life. <laughs> yeah. Like you need to have this deep well of passion for the work, but you also need to have an income source that doesn't make yeah. you miserable or burnt out so that you can continue to do the actual work. So considering that and having discussed just the mm-hmm. breadth of different engagements that you have going on, which is, you know, it's kind we of should say just don't, for, don't do it. Well, <laughs> what, so, so, but I was actually going to say just so that our audience mm-hmm. knows and the younger uh, creatives know that's not mm-hmm. uncommon mm-hmm. Uh, having 
yes. number of baskets, rotating baskets, different yes. things coming around, multiple income sources out of necessity. And also because, you know, mm-hmm. well, you happen to be very good mm-hmm. at a lot of different things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's mixed in, into that. But tell us more about what is a day in the life with all these baskets rotating around that you're dipping into and getting out of, what does that look like? What does it feel like? What's kind of the energy of that for you right now? So I've kind of onboarded these many different things over the past few weeks. So last week and this week especially have been pretty intense, but (laughs) with all of that in mind, what a typical day looks like is getting up, doing my my work, whatever basket I am focusing on for the day, chances are I will film some kind of audition at some point (laughs) uh, on a typical day or maybe go in person. In person auditions are starting up again every so often, which is is cool. It's yeah. It's, uh, happy to talk more about that too in more detail. I also have. I study. I'm still in voice lessons, so occasionally I will have voice lessons. I've also recently started working with a career coach focused on the arts and creative life. So occasionally I will have a meeting with him. Lots of commuting. Maybe if I'm in rehearsal for something, I will go to rehearsal. My schedule right now is pretty intense as it does seem like just over the past few months, things are really starting to get back to the pre-COVID pace of life, you know? Which is a good thing. We also have to ease our way back in. Yeah. Yes. And then I, I also kind of want to point out again, sort of the like invisible work of life admin. So things like checking audition sites. I have a manager who I really enjoy working with, but I also submit for projects myself to contribute to, again, some longer term goals, lots of emails, infinitely many emails to work through and, you know, (laughs) trying to make dents in my long term projects as well. And again, this this sort of daily workflow is something that I am continually working on and trying to get better at and get more organized with so that I can most effectively spin (laughs) all the plates. Sounds great. All right. So we will come back around with a whole another slew, a different, slight, slightly different focus and, and come back around to some of the Great. things that you're asking. But also wanted to sort of exit this first part of our, our talk with a question about, we talk day in the life, but do you have any anecdote, personal story, sort of defining characteristic, you know, kind of driven version of something our young performing audience might want to hear about it just so they can better understand exactly what they're signing themselves up yes. for? Yes. So I, I think... To me, it really does come back to connections with people and how so many opportunities appear because of your positive relationships with people by being a reliable person to be around, by contributing in every room, even goofy, seemingly insignificant things like being on time or communicating when you're running late, like all of those things contribute to someone being excited to work with you in the future or recommend you for something else. So for me, only a handful of opportunities have come from cold outreach, just walking into the room. Maybe they've seen my work online and that's it. The overwhelming majority have been because of of positive relationships. So for example, (laughs) I took an improv class at UCB in my first year, year or two in the city. And one of my classmates worked at an agency in LA. And he was the person who told me, hey, you're on 
X acting job site and you should really be on Y acting website. Y acting website is where mm. all the legitimate <laughs> auditions are. And once I got on Y acting website, that's where I booked my national tour. You know, I self-submitted and booked the wow. tour from there. So that's one connection. Just this past winter did a production of Beauty and the Beast, which was so much fun. I played Belle at the Arvada Center in Colorado and the reason I got that part was because I had auditioned for a different theater earlier last year and the casting director there recommended me to Arvada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did the yeah. show. I had a great time. Then the sound designer there worked at the coaching company I mentioned earlier. They reached out and asked me to film some promotional videos for them, film some like internal industrial videos. And from there, that's where I got this, this sales admin role. So it's really all interconnected in a huge way. We don't like the word network, but it does help to think there is yes. a network here, right? Like community of practice or whatever we want to call it. There is a netting that is extending these strands between so such yes. disparate lines, but they're actually all pulled together in a really tight and meaningful way. I have so many more examples, times that like this small thing I did and I, I worked for this thing for free because I thought this person was cool and interesting. And then it actually turns into something really cool and exciting and big down the line. Yeah, that is fantastic. Zina, it's been such a pleasure to reconnect with you and I will look forward to coming back around and picking this back up. Awesome, thank you so much. Thanks again, Zina. I can't wait to continue our conversation. <laughs> to our listeners, make sure to check back in next week to hear more from Zina Ellis and until then, as always, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty. Crafty.